There's an adage that goes, the bigger the risks, the greater the reward. But there is also an idea that taking risks can backfire and prevent people or companies from achieving their greatest success. For Leo Budin, the CIO of Cascade Financial Services, the risk-reward relationship has always fueled his passions. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Leo discusses how he implements lessons he learned during his days on Wall Street into his current job in the mortgage industry. And he explains the growing divide between programmers and why the industry is evolving right before our eyes. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. We are joined by special guest, Leo, what's going on? Things are going well. Sunny Phoenix here. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, we're going to get into your background in technology and uh, and everything IT and technology related about Cascade Financial Services. Uh, but first, how did you get into technology in the first place? Both my parents are engineers, and I was always kind of around people who were thinking about solutions. Back then, it was mechanical or civil engineering kind of stuff. And then I got, a, I got into uh, originally... Um, I was going to become a, a electrical engineering person, but then I switched into software in college and uh, kind of pursued my career on Wall Street. So I always was in a mixture of business and technology, sitting on a trading desk at a uh, broker dealer or buy side company and managing, helping them to manage uh, risk for their bond portfolios, which involved a lot of programming, a lot of math. And, and a lot of technology. So I was always kind of in a mixed uh, mixture of, of uh, solving business problems, but also using programming C++ or, or whatever it might be to help, help to deliver whatever solution that was needed. And for those of our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about Cascade Financial Services and, uh, and your role as CIO. Yeah, so Cascade is an interesting uh, uh, business. Uh, it was started about 22 years ago by four people, local people in Phoenix, and they tried different mortgage mortgage types, and eventually they settled onto a specific uh, area called manufactured homes and um, grew the company, got it to the point where they had over 300 people, and two years ago, uh, the founding four partners decided to sell the company to this uh, hedge fund called Centerbridge in New York City. And Centerbridge liked the idea to invest in uh, in the sector because um, it tends to be recession-proof, which is kind of what we're trying to learn right now in this crisis. Um, so, so as of two years ago, Centerbridge started putting money in and, and hiring a lot of folks uh, my boss joined as well. Todd Kopstein came from Centerbridge to basically become the CEO of the company. And then he hired me to run technology and hired a few more people to uh, uh, augment the management team. And um, right now we are uh, 
what I, what I call up and coming uh, mortgage lender in the space. And uh, we are focusing a lot on technology. We delivered a uh, digital application to, to our community. Mortgage products uh, basically get funneled to us by, by uh, dealers out there in the countries. There, there are over 1,400 uh, dealers. Some of them are independent. Some of them are part of uh, larger dealer networks. So when a, when a home, prospective home buyer wants to buy a home, they go to the dealer shop for a model. Very similar to a car car dealer, but except it's it's uh, it's homes on on a lot. They they find the model they like, they negotiate the price, and then they uh, need financing typically. And so these dealers originate or or kind of ask several lenders to provide financing for this transaction. Our goal is to be obviously fastest, cheapest, and best. Uh, um, lender out there. So having digital technology and having digital portal, especially now in this sort of COVID scenario, when people don't want to spend too much time in the office at the dealer, they can basically finish their transaction at home and, and apply for a mortgage directly to us from, from the comfort of their home. So that's a quick kind of review of, of Cascade. The company today is is split between origination business and servicing business. Um, originally, Cascade serviced only the loans that we originated uh, f- uh, by ourselves. But as part of that center bridge infusion, we started getting into what, what's called third-party servicing, where we're buying mortgage servicing rights from other companies, and we uh, service them for on behalf of them for their clients. So my IT organization is split into two types. I have um, team for supporting the servicing organization and the team for ser- uh, supporting the um, origination department. Um, I also have a team of developers, a uh, pretty large team. My, my big focus is on developing custom applications. Uh, we can't really buy too many products off the shelf because this business is sort of underserved by the general, what I call vendor, technology vendor community. Uh, so yeah, so we build a lot of applications in-house. The digital portal was built completely in-house, and we have some other tools that we're working on uh, for the last couple of months. Also, I have uh, obviously help desk and infrastructure team. Uh, one of the directions uh, since I joined is is to push everything to the cloud. Uh, traditionally, Cascade didn't embrace the cloud; they were just too small and uh, kind of not not well versed in those areas so um since i came in we're making big push to make uh, uh cloud architecture and cloud services kind of the main the mainstream of our technology um and then i have uh, another organization uh, project management so i have five teams basically uh like i said development project management servicing support origination support and infrastructure uh, total size is about 40 people. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're heavy in, in, like I said, we're heavy in development. About 15 people internally of those 40 are developers. So that's really interesting. And I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit because we, we do talk to CIOs who, who feel the same way that you do, that kind of like the vendor set doesn't necessarily meet their needs 
um, 100%, specifically, you know, as they're moving to, to the cloud and this kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, digital transformation, um, of, of, you know, embracing cloud. Um, I'm curious, like, why do you think that, why do you think that like, particularly your area is underserved? Well, because manufacturer home is a very small niche of the total, uh, market out there. So if you're, if you're a vendor like Ellie Mae who builds Encompass system or this new vendor called Blend who is trying to come up with a digital mortgage application, they mostly focus on biggest parts of the market. So basically what we call stick built homes, built on site homes, right? And, and uh, basically conventional mortgages. So that's the biggest market. That's where everybody, probably 80, 85% of the total origination volume is your traditional loans. So MH is not really in 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 that area. It's it's very, it's a small market, but it's but it's uh, a niche, right? So what ends up happening is is if I'm if I'm starting a company or existing company, they look at uh, all all the different mortgage types, and they basically tend to work on majority of the market, not on the small segment. And and so yeah, so for us, we end up developing or customizing quite heavily a lot of vendor systems uh, in-house. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we actually, we did a podcast a, a while back about future cities and and looking at manufactured homes and, and what that looks like and, and all that. So I, I do know a little bit about modular, um, maybe more than, than the next person, because we interbe- interviewed a bunch of folks that were involved in that. Um, and it, it it is funny how, uh, you know, you have these, you know, little pockets or, 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 um, or parts of a market where you really do need custom things. I, I'm curious, how do you build teams around, uh, around that? Like, how are you finding the talent to be able to create those things that, you know, there's obviously a war for, uh, for tech, for tech talent out there. So how are you, you know, staying competitive? Yeah, that's, that's really tough, right? So the Phoenix market, uh, I got here about a year and a half ago from New York. Uh, when I took this job and, and Phoenix market is very, very hot. Even before, uh, lots of tech companies are moving here from California to escape uh, high taxes over there. A lot of companies are expanding their, uh, uh, activities in Phoenix. Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the in U.S. Uh, but people don't think of it as a sort of tech, tech heavy, but it, it is quite a bit there. There is quite many tech companies here and and there are a lot of technologists in the area. So my job was to foster relationships with people kind of on a personal level and through recruiters and others. So I've done a lot of handshaking, a lot of meet, meetings for the last year and a half to, to kind of get out there and to talk to people, interview people, uh, we went to local colleges, so we, 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 we had to develop a way to reach out to folks to say, look, come to Cascade, we're going to build this uh, new technology. Uh, everything pretty much is brand new. There's no uh, maintenance. People typically don't like to maintain old systems. So, so we offer them uh, great projects. We offer them small team environment and uh, agile development. So there's a lot of benefits I feel that we offer for, for programmers and, and technical people when they join. 
So, but it does take time and it, and it involves a lot of, you know, evenings and a lot of weekends to get out there and to, to create that culture uh, uh, and, and explain that culture at Cascade to, to the folks in the area. And also we're flexible. So we have a few people outside of Phoenix on my team. So even before this whole COVID situation, we already had pretty much uh, work from home and, and kind of distributed workforce. So we have people in Florida, we have people in Atlanta, uh, California. So depending on the need, we hired people outside of Phoenix if we couldn't find certain skills in Phoenix, right? So, so yeah, it, it, took, it took quite some time. Yeah, that's so that's so fascinating, and that's really a uh, it's such a great insight um, into like kind of tech talent these days. Where you're exactly right that if you offer them uh, some of those really important perks, uh, you know, working on cool projects, not having to just maintain a bunch of legacy stuff, um, you know, being agile, and then you know the uh, the work remote or work from home or uh, or some blend of, of remote work, you can, you can find some really good talent that, you know, you might not have, you know, maybe a handful of years ago, even at the same company, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have been able to land. Yeah, exactly. So, so most, most people, they, they want to do good work. They want to be part of winning team. And, and so that's the challenge for managers like myself is to, is to offer, that type of environment, create that environment and offer it and and explain it so so that they don't feel like um, I'm kind of just selling and it's not really true. So, you know, I welcome them to come and talk to anyone on my team. And we do have pretty serious interviews with with programming tests and with all kinds of puzzles and, and questions. And, and uh, we do try to make sure we, we hire super super technical people. And also we want to always look for what are called nice people. We don't want to have uh, the, the other types on my team. So I'm curious, what about, um, what about like back in when you were talking to your leadership team originally and saying like, Hey, we need to invest heavily in technology. Uh, and you said there might've been a little pushback or maybe it just wasn't a focus. I'm curious what, um, what was that conversation like? And like, what is it now that you have that stuff in place? Yeah, I never really had any super tough budget meetings with the management. So like I said, the, the, there are two kind of cascades, one prior to, to a Centerbridge acquisition and one post Centerbridge acquisition. So probably before I joined, before Centerbridge bought the company, there, were, there, there was probably, you know, lack of funding for technology, but I can't really speak too much of that. But since I got here, um, pretty much it's kind of funny. I, I have to kind of fight for lower spending, if you will, because I don't want to have to do 20 projects all at once. So it's kind of interesting dynamics. The business has so many ideas and so many uh, uh, interesting things they want me to, to work on. And I'm the one who's trying to tell them, look, let's try to sequence things and let's not uh, uh, build 20 systems in parallel. Let's do maybe 10. And then we can do the other 10 after we finish the first 10. So, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a unusual dynamics where the head of IT is trying to build things in sequence, not in parallel. Yeah. And I want to, I want to steer into that a little bit. What, what are the requirements that you get from the business? Like, uh, you know, as someone who is 
you know, ahead of the curve on a lot of this, uh, a lot of the trends and making sure that you have a solid technical footprint and are creating products. Do the business leaders now come to you with everything or do they, or do they want to, you know, get a bunch of out of the box stuff? Like I'd, I'd be, be curious, like, because you have such a strong IT organization, um, what is the response from, from your peers, from the business leaders? Yeah. So that's an interesting dynamic. So most of our people on our executive committee, they're all, I'm the only official technical guy, but they all know quite a bit about technology. So they all, you know, dabbled enough in it to, to know, uh, to be dangerous, let's put it this way. So, so typically what we get are pretty, what we get is a lot of interesting ideas. My list of ideas is there's probably 40, 50 things at all times on that list. And then we have to sit there and prioritize them. What are we, what are we doing? And when are we doing this one? Right. So I get pretty, I get put into a lot of interesting meetings. So for example, COVID comes in. So, you know, I literally, I remember, you know, March 5th, I'm talking to my boss and he's like, we got to move everybody home. Start now. And I'm like, are you really sure? So, you know, we, we discussed it literally for an hour and then, Next day, I, I made a plan and we within two, three weeks, we literally sent entire hump company home one by one or department by department. But in, in two, three weeks, the office was largely empty. And then as of now, it's pretty much maybe one person comes there, but uh, out of 300 people, nobody's in the office. So another idea, like I said, we somebody said, let's build, let's build digital portals. So we, we discussed it and we made a made a design and made a kind of prototype and then we released it to a few dealers tried it and i like the idea of iterative uh sort of style so it kind of fits cascade mode because we don't know exactly what the final version of this dealer portal might be like so we we kind of tried with a few dealers then if they like it great we go to a few more and then we, we get feedback and we iterate and, and it fits this agile style quite well. So we're not even looking for what I call the final spec on the product because we know that there's a lot of things that we don't really know still, even though we, some of these executives have been in the business for over 20 years. But, but it's, a, it's a new idea and it, uh, technology is not really always welcomed in the mortgage market and especially in the manufactured home part of the mortgage market. So it's an interesting uh, thing to introduce out there. And so we iterate. So we probably did, I don't know, 20, 30 releases before we settled into what we have today. So it, it's, it's an interesting, uh, uh, like I said, it's an interesting dynamics. Many executives, they know kind of what they want and they, and they know a lot about technology. And yeah, may, they may not be able to write the code, but they know kind of enough to, to kind of spell it out for us. I love that list of uh, of forty to fifty. I feel like every CIO has that list of uh, of of what's uh, what's the the dream to have the 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 need the want uh, and and all that. Um, uh, how do you kind of triage some of those things? What's the line of the hey, this is going to be a twenty twenty one priority, or 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 this is something that we need to do now? Yeah, I mean some things. Yeah, some things I just cannot refuse, if you will. There's some emergency projects that we basically have to do. So those go first, regardless of what I think. And, and then the others, we have to do some kind of 
arm twisting and, and a lot of discussions to figure out, do we really want to do this one now or, or wait? So we, we also look at kind of cost benefit analysis. We're doing financial analysis. If we spend, let's say, half a million dollars in software development costs to build this, what kind of revenue for us would it produce, right? So, so we, we have a lot of different ways we can, we can uh, address uh, that 40 item list. But another thing to keep in mind is like any, any CIO, I have a list of what I call technical debt that I inherited or, or some of it already we, we, we created ourselves since I've been here. So that's another list that I have to manage actively to, to eliminate or reduce technical debt so that I'm not sitting here two years from now and I have a lot of legacy systems, old systems, and, and uh, nobody wants to work for me because they, can't, they don't like to work on that kind of stuff, right? So I also try to attack the, the technical debt side of things. So these are projects that really nobody in the business side really appreciates or knows quite well, but I'm trying to uh, uh, get, get, get it down to, to less uh, uh, volume, if you will. Uh, on my own. Obviously, some of the bigger projects we we uh, we have to inform the business. So, for example, I'm converting the whole company from SQL Server into Postgres, and and that's a big big effort. And but I feel like technology-wise, that's going to set us up to to be cost lower cost manufacturer, if you will, of IT. So so there are two lists basically. One list is driven by the business. Another list is driven by me internally to collect those technical items and technical debt items and make sure we prune them out pretty quickly. Any technologies that you've been implementing, whether, you know, something like AI or blockchain or, you know, APIs or, or just something that you've, you've either put into, that, put into that list or have already implemented that has been working really well for the team? Yeah, good, good question. So there were many kind of different projects, all, all focused on the need for, for what I call service-oriented architecture. And so we looked at a bunch of vendors and we looked at a bunch of different technologies and uh, we ended up buying this product made by MuleSoft uh, Corporation. And um, basically they give us kind of one tool that lets us integrate all these disparate systems and with, with their technology, we can implement connectivity and, and we can implement messaging between all these different events and and we can implement um, kind of orchestration of, of various separate tasks. So I don't have to have developers building what are called monolithic systems and then it's hard to maintain them. So MuleSoft is an interesting uh, uh, addition to our list of, of products. So, so basically pretty much everything that we're building new, whether it's ETL, or now we, we also bought Salesforce, we're integrating with Salesforce. So all these, all these processes are being built kind of within MuleSoft uh, uh, architecture. So that, that's one thing that kind of I introduced uh, to the company since, since uh, I showed up. Another thing we're looking at is, is um, so in the mortgage space, when we try to originate new loan, uh, how do we know whether we, we want to take that risk or not? So a borrower comes in, one borrower has 750 FICO, another borrower has 650 FICO, one borrower wants you know, to put down 20%, another borrower wants to put down 5%. First of all, do we want to lend them at all? And if we do want to lend them, 
do we want to, how much do we charge, right? So, so we need to determine that and we need to determine that pretty quickly. So, so we, what we're working on now is, is kind of our, our, what's called a pricing model. So that pricing model uh, needs to be able to very quickly because it's going to be plugged in, into the digital platform. So when the borrower is applying, they're online, they're waiting on the, on the screen. So we can't take three hours to price this loan and figure out whether we want to originate or not. We need to give them an answer within, you know, five, 10 seconds. So to, to do this, we need to be able to run a bunch of Monte Carlo simulations on a, on a, on this loan to figure out when will it default if it, if it defaults at all or, or when will it pay on time? And based on those scenarios, we can then figure out the, the rate we can charge to the borrower. So obviously lower tier credit borrowers will default more and the model, our model will predict that and higher tier borrowers will never default. So that's where higher tier borrowers will get lower rate and, and lower tier borrowers will, will get higher rate or may not get a, may not get approval for the loan at all if they're if they're not meeting our credit standards. So to support that effort, we need to implement pretty much very, very high CPU environment which which can scale and which can run many of these applications concurrently and, and be able to produce an answer quickly. So so what, what tends to happen in these in these solutions is I need to provision you know, hundreds of machines on, on the cloud so that I can run Monte Carlo simulations on the fly and compute these answers that, that flow into the lending uh, application. As you can see, there's a lot of uh, uh, technology on that side, kind of unrelated to the pure IT technology. This is more like financial computation problem where, where you're running Monte Carlo simulations and you're pricing each one of them and you're taking uh, an average to, com uh, to, to basically compute an answer. In my space, I have to deal with, you know, pure technology, pure or more financial kind of applications and, and databases and you name it, we get to, we get to work on, on those types, very many different projects. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um... And it's so it's so interesting how you know nuanced your market is too. You know, with um, with a market that has been around for so long. You know, I love that you know the company tagline about making the American dream happen, um, and just you know how fundamentally it's still such a difficult process. And obviously, it should be difficult. That in the sense that you know. Um, there's so much risk involved and it's a, the biggest financial decision and you, you know, most people are, are going to make in their entire life, but you know, the ways that technology can, can help that process happen, um, you know, in an industry that, that hasn't fundamentally changed that much in, in a hundred years. Um, and to see those kind of, uh, those advancements is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I really, Kind of, I follow uh, this fellow named Michael Lewis. Uh, he wrote many books yeah. about Wall Street, and his first book was, of course, Liar's Poker. One of his non-Wall Street-related books, but it's connected, is is called Moneyball. It's basically about uh, uh, baseball. The idea is that they, they introduced Wall Street approach 
to digitize baseball activities. So they knew statistics on every player. They knew statistics on every pitcher, every hitter, and they knew technologically. They had databases of exactly where, where how he hit the ball and how where he struck out and how he struck out. They knew everything about everybody, and they were be able to essentially build a pricing model that essentially built let them build a team for for tenth of the budget, and they you know competed at the top level. So traditionally, Oakland A's they were not ever a contender for anything, but but once they introduced that technology into the into the corporate culture, they were able to essentially get rid of expensive players by cheaper players and, and with a much smaller budget, be able to compete against the likes of Yankees. And even though they still didn't win the World Series, they, they came close for, for like I said, tenth of a budget. So this is similar to us. I, I, I think that we are in the process of like digitizing this market and, and hopefully we can win the game, if you will, and we can provide better service, cheaper service and faster service with with less money because even though computer programmers are more expensive by when you automate a problem and you can you know originate a bunch of mortgages that cost of development gets spread over many many loans so that you can actually produce loans cheaper because you don't have to hire uh, people to originate them manually that's kind of the approach that i i think we're taking in this particular book the michael lewis tries to explain how you know people people just couldn't believe this kid from princeton university was able to come into completely foreign organization and be able to tell them here you got to fire these guys you got to hire these guys so so <laughs> there's a couple of interesting scenes in the movie uh but it kind of applies to us as well because because we have to introduce technology to areas of the industry that are not comfortable with that yeah, it really it's a great analogy and it's my Oakland A's. So they're I've been an Oakland A's fan since uh since I was uh three years old when we won the World Series. So um yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great analogy though for for IT and for technology because um so many areas were resistant to change. I think, you know, it's funny we were talking to um to the CIO at Juniper Networks, um, and Bob was saying how you know, one of the tough parts for hiring for him was that he only wanted the people who, you know, the mindset of the old IT person uh, who was focused on maintaining was not what he needed anymore because they were going 100% cloud native. So he was like, I, we needed a new mindset. And even though it was someone who'd, you know, been in IT for 15 years, that was a great IT person that, you know, she wouldn't be the right fit for uh, for this new, you know, IT team uh, or a new technology team. Um, and that was just a fundamental difference. So I, it's, it's a great analogy with the, with the Moneyball stuff of like, even the people around you have to change their mindset and their thinking um, to what's, what's now possible. I'm not so young anymore. And I watch these kids, you know, how they develop code and how they approach uh, problems. So the best of them, they just learn on the fly. They, like in my days, we have to get a book, we have to read it cover to cover, and then we can start using those uh, uh, lessons that we learn from the book in real world. Today, they just go to uh, Stack Overflow or they go to some of these other websites, they literally 
Google or, or search for uh, some of these problems and they, and they come up with solutions almost instantaneously. So it's very much different. Uh, it's what I call fearless programming. They, they have no fear. <laughs> so, so I think that's what your fellow is talking about is the older style programmers, unfortunately, they have a lot of fear built into their, into their kind of behavior. And, and uh, they don't fit modern world organizations anymore because in today's world, because of the agile, because of the, some of the, th- the ways we're doing things, uh, it's not always the best to research kind of for a long time the perfect solution. It's better to deliver something quick and dirty versus super perfect but much, take much longer time because the, the, once you deliver what I call a prototype and you deliver it quicker, the business may change the question because they, they'll look at the prototype and they'll say, ah, that's not really what I wanted. I really want this. So you got to be able to iterate very quickly and, and keep up with their kind of thought process so that in my early days, the, the, you know, we wanted a spec, we wanted it to be perfect, and then we would design it and implement it, and that process would take six months. Six months here, it would never work. We want six days, right? So, so by 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 hiring these what I call fearless younger programmers, and they are typically younger, we can kind of achieve that because they literally can can get something up and running in in short time. And yeah, it may not be perfect, but we we will iterate to make it perfect. That's kind of the style. You know, specifically with regards to kind of dealing with this crisis, I'm curious, um, what are some of the things that you're doing as a leader, both for your team and then um, as a company to, uh, you know, to deal with these kind of unprecedented times? Yeah, um, it's very interesting development. Uh, nobody, I don't think anybody here or elsewhere, nobody really thought about pandemic uh uh, events like that typical dr scenario included okay the building catches fire or flooded so you have to evacuate the building and then you know two three weeks later you work from another location right um so here we we are nothing's really broken physically every every data center works all the buildings are fine but we can't come in to 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 actually sit in our seats so like I mentioned earlier, we, we stood up a bunch of terminal servers and we, and we are able to put all of our employees out of harm's way. So my job is now to call them and to Zoom, have Zoom meetings with them and to have uh, these virtual happy hours or to do what, whatever social interaction we need to do in order to make everybody feel like still connected and still engaged. And it's not just a, a bunch of meetings all day long. So yeah, we cannot meet in person, but we're trying to kind of over oversteer, if you will, on the on the social components so that people all feel they're still connected. So yeah, so we have, uh, like I said, we have. I make extra efforts to call pretty much everybody in my organization every few every every day or two. I call people just to just to chat, just to see what they're doing, and then we have more like structure, structured events where we have sort of like a lunch and learn on Friday and then we have a happy hour all virtually, but, but we do it and we try to, we try to get um, everybody on Zoom 
with full video so people can see each other. So it's not just a kind of dry session with no way to see the screen, right? Is there anything that, you know, you see out in the, the next, you know, five and 10 years uh, that's really going to change, you know, buying a home or, or, or technology or, or otherwise that could really shape uh, kind of a new era of, of how that's done? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, so, so I'm not sure about the regular housing market, what we call stick built homes, but in MH space, I think I think a lot more will be shifted to uh, online. There will be applications built, like sort of like ours, and other vendors will definitely embrace those because it's going to be either adopt or go out of business type thing. Right. So I can imagine a scenario where a borrower can, you know, basically sit at home, log into some dealer's website, look at all their models, negotiate the price online, and then right from there be redirected to apply for a mortgage to to several companies and then pick pick a mortgage. So I, I can imagine where they don't even have to leave the home to to finish their transactions. So there's all these uh, e-signature services, e-notary services that we have to now use much more because of this COVID situation. But but once once hopefully COVID situation is is resolved, all this technology will stay because now that now that people are forced to use it, they're going to have to use it going forward uh, because they already had to do it right. So. I think it's going to be what I call the Amazon model. So you can buy pretty much almost every anything you want nowadays on Amazon. I think I think buying MH home will be kind of similar to that experience where you know they have that one click. You don't even have to put a credit card. You just buy it, and they use your credit card stored in your account to you know buy buy your whatever it is you're buying and ship it to you. So that's the experience, I think. The, the less time it takes, the, the more efficient everybody wants it to be and everybody likes that model, especially the younger crowd. They're all walking around with, with cell phones and they don't want to be bothered with you know, printing an application and filling it out, doing all that manual stuff. So yeah, pretty much we all should learn from Amazon and, and uh, follow their lead on that front because they spent a lot of time and money uh, sort of perfecting and, and making their platform what it is today. And I think it's just a matter of time before, before every, uh, every other industry becomes more and more like, like Amazon. Okay. Let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience, you can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. We love Salesforce. They've been with us from the very beginning in the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. Lightning round questions. Leo, are you ready? Ready. A favorite book or... Um, podcast or TV show that you've been uh, particularly enjoying recently? My wife and I watched this show called Hells on Wheels. So that's an interesting kind of mixture of railroad, uh, building uh, uh, railroad across the country with a bunch of different personal stories weaved in between. So that was kind of interesting, uh, about 20% historical and 80% probably fiction. 
as far as books, I like I like uh, anything with uh, history. I like uh, all kinds of mafia books. So that's my my big uh, interest. Have there been any uh, any quarantine specific or, uh, or shelter in place specific hobbies that you've picked up recently? Probably, if anything, I probably listen more to music. I'm a big uh, uh, Grateful Dead fan, so I, I probably have that going much more than when I was before. What about a hidden talent or passion? I like yoga. I like uh, karate. So those are my two. Final question. What is your best advice for a first-time CIO? Measure 14 times before you cut. I love that. That's great. Sounds like you're saying that from personal experience. Yeah. Awesome. Leo, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks. Thanks for your time. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.